Welcome to the podcast. This is Douglas Wilson. This is episode 318 of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. So as I'm recording this, there's an ongoing developing saga down in Texas having to do with the border. Governor Abbott of Texas has sent multiple letters to the feds saying that they have to do something about the unrestricted immigration that's coming across the border. One that he said is tantamount to an invasion. And of course, the Biden administration was dithering and dithering and dithering. Finally, Abbott had the Texas National Guard evict the border patrol from a certain place where illegal aliens were coming, coming across. And they started, they began putting up razor wire to prevent them from coming across. Now, a case went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court held that it was okay for the federal government to cut the razor wire. It was a 5-4 decision, incidentally, and Roberts and uh, Justice Barrett voted for that. But they didn't say that Texas was wrong for putting up the razor wire. They just said it was okay for the feds to cut the razor wire. Well, Governor Abbott has basically, going back to Andrew Jackson's taunt, you know, the Supreme Court has made the decision, now let them enforce it. What you have is this massive flood of immigrants coming across the border, which was already a hot election issue. In the minds of many, it, was, it, it is the premier issue in the presidential election. And so what the showdown means is that Abbott is defying the president, and he has done so in such a way, about half of the states, Idaho is included, about half the states have signed on supporting Governor Abbott. Now, I think I agree with Matt Walsh here that Abbott has Biden over a barrel because this is an election year, and this is the election season. And if Biden nationalizes the Texas National Guard in order to take them out of the picture, he is actually sending troops to open the border for this massive flood of uh, immigrants in an election year, in an election season. And I think that he'd be doing that by force, and I think that it would be just suicidal politically. So I think it's right that um, that Abbott has uh, Biden over a barrel. The other thing is that Governor DeSantis of Florida has sent reinforcements to Texas, but he sent the Florida State Guard. And because he sent the Florida State Guard, he's sending a military unit that cannot be nationalized by the president. The president can't, doesn't have the authority to do anything there. So uh, I've seen some memes floating around. So do you think we can, with maps of the United States, with much of the old Confederacy colored in and people saying, so I think we can get the band back together? Well, it's certainly looking like a bump, bumpity bumpity uh, stretch here. This is a Texas Fed showdown. I think that Texas is going to win. I think Texas is going to be the one that doesn't blink. And I think that this issue is going to be an inflamed one all the way through the uh, presidential election in November. 
And everybody should keep their eyes on it. Everybody should make sure that they continue to play, continue to pay close attention. It's worth noting that Governor Abbott's letter to the federal government does not position him as a scofflaw. He has the full constitutional authority to do what he's doing uh, in response to an invasion. And so that's what he's doing. Always will be God. So continuing on with the podcast, episode 318, you know by now that this part of the podcast, or podcast is called Hermartiology, in which we study various words in the New Testament for different kinds of sins. This week's word is katadikadzo, katadikadzo, which is the, it has the meaning of condemn, okay? It has the meaning of condemn. And an interesting quirk about this is that Christians too often assume that condemnation, which would be of sin, obviously, is a good thing. And when God condemns the guilty at the last day, this would be a good example of a good thing. But within the chaos of a very sinful human history, we need to stop assuming that condemnation is automatically righteous. We should remember that the image in Scripture of the devil is that of an accuser, a prosecutor. We see that in Revelation 12.10. He accuses the brethren day and night before the throne. We too easily forget that the devil is self-righteous. The devil is self-righteous, and he accuses. He points a bony finger. And the Lord Jesus could be described as a public defender. In 1 John 2, 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But here's the pinch point. If a young graduating law student were chatting with folks at church in the fellowship hour, he would get very different reactions when talking about his job prospects. Suppose that one possibility was working with the prosecutor's office and the other was working with the public defender. And let's say he had um, 10 conversations with people at church saying, oh, I'm thinking about working with the, with the DA's office and I'm thinking about taking a job with the public defender's office. The Christians that he talks to would be far more worried about his work as a public defender than they would be about his work as a, an accuser, as a prosecutor. Now, I believe that prosecuting crimes is a lawful profession, so I'm not trying to say that it is um, wrong or sinful to prosecute someone. But we do need to remember that it's something the devil loves to do. The devil loves to prosecute. And the Lord Jesus is full of mercy. The Lord Jesus is a public defender. And we, we say, well, well, the problem is, if he goes and works in, in, as a public defender, he's going to wind up defending people who are guilty. I, I know, right? Like Jesus? <laughs> Do we not like it when Jesus defends guilty people? Because that would include us, would it not? But we like, you know, someone working in the prosecutor's office Seems like it's good, upstanding law and order type. We, you know, put the bad guys away, make the streets safe. And yes, there is a place for making the streets safe. We ought to do that. But there's an accusative spirit that we have to guard against. And there's a reluctance to defend the guilty that we need to look at also. Obviously, a Christian public defender can't defend someone he knows to be guilty and defend him in such a way as to get him clean off. He can't lie about it. But someone could, in good conscience, be a public defender where he simply ensures that the trial is fair 
and that the accused rights are not violated. That's a noble thing to do. Anyway, back to our our text. Notice how Scripture speaks about the practice of condemning. One use is found at several places in Matthew 12. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Matthew 12, 7. So if you'd known your spiritual up and down, if you'd known your spiritual black and white, what would you have refrained from doing? Well, you would have successfully refrained from condemning the guiltless. That's something that happens in this broken world. The guiltless are condemned. In a guilty world, condemnation frequently falls on the guiltless. The guilty love to project, and the guilty can gravitate into positions of power. And when the authorities condemned Jesus, for example, we have to remember that that happened, they were truly condemning the guiltless. When we use words sinfully, as when we invert the moral categories, Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, substitute light for darkness, and so on. When we use words sinfully like that, those words that we use circle back around like a boomerang. This principle is addressed from another angle in Luke. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. That's Luke 6.37. Notice how the scriptures instruct us how to lean away from condemning. We lean away from condemning. Condemning is something that is pretty conducive to the carnal man. We can see this in the book of James. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. So this is something that we have to realize. Sinners, we think that we bend toward condemning and accusing and prosecuting because we think we have a bent toward justice, a bent toward righteousness. Well, many times it's a bent toward self-righteousness. God don't never change. He's All right, continuing with the podcast 318, my book review for this time around is Why You Think the Way You Do. This is by uh, my friend, Glenn Sunshine. Another friend mentioned it to me that they just finished it, and this was a book that Glenn wrote a few years ago that I had not known about. And so, of course, I love it when people recommend books to me, and so I got it and went through it. And this is a very, very good book. It's a, a layman's intellectual history. He, go, he goes back to the Roman Empire, and he talks, basically, he's talking about different worldview assumptions that the pagans held and what was happening when pagan Rome was converted and became Christian, what was happening in the Renaissance, what was happening in the Reformation, what was happening in the birth of modern philosophy and science and so on. It Basically, it's an, a history of intellectual assumptions and worldview assumptions from the Roman Empire down to the present. And it is a history that's really accessible to someone who is a illiterate, thoughtful layman. You don't have to be an academic or a professional, professional theologian to track with what uh, Sunshine is doing here. Glenn Sunshine is also the one who wrote the canon book, Slaying Leviathan, which is a history of Protestant resistance theory, which is, of course, one of the subsets of the larger worldview assumptions. Another interesting thing that Sunshine gets into is the, um, the cosmological aspects of 
these uh, these worldview transformations. He uh, talks a good bit about Galileo and Copernicus and Kepler and those guys, Newton, because the uh, relationship of philosophy and your cosmology is not a radically distinct one. They are very much intertwined with one another. Mm-hmm.